You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest here. Just one of those days where there's not a cloud in the sky, 81 degrees, probably about 35% humidity, breeze is blowing, can't beat it with a stick. And this is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, here in Lane County, Oregon. And today is a free-for-all day, which means uh, you call in and you get to control the topic. And you can call in at 646-721-9887 and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show, and she'll get you lined up, and we'll get you right on here. So yesterday was Independence Day. And uh, we kind of have a tradition, my wife and I, since we moved out here to Elmira. In fact, we actually did this a couple times when we lived um, in town in Eugene. Uh, We like to ride up to Harrisburg, uh, Oregon here, not Pennsylvania. (laughs) And uh, they have a little Fourth of July parade there that is just a kick. I mean, if you ever get a chance, you want to take in some true small town Americana, Get up to Harrisburg on the 4th of July. Uh, they have a big pancake breakfast in the morning if you want to get up there a little early. Then they uh, have this parade at 11. Then they have some entertainment down on their waterfront at the gazebo. And then that night they do fireworks uh, on, for, you know, that you can view from their waterfront park. They got this big, long um, strip of waterfront park in Harrisburg, which is really pretty, uh, right on the Willamette River. But uh, you know, we, we, we like to do this ride, and, and in the last several years, we've done it with a, a couple of, that we know, and uh, we all go together, and we ride our way up there. I've got a um, red, white, and blue USA uh, cycling jersey, and my wife's got, you know, kind of, so we try and at least be in our red, white, and blue and all that, and uh, it, it's just one of these fun parades, and, you know, every piece of fire equipment from three counties, it seems like, is in that parade. Uh, Every tractor that the local dealerships own, it seems like, and I mean, some of these are just monster tractors, you know, that, you know, and harvesters, et cetera, that come through on this parade. Um, Little, you know, groups of horses, you know, various, uh, and then, of course, we have the Eugene Pro Rodeo Queen and the, the junior miss and the and the everything else rodeo queens and then they of course have every you know little church group every cub scout and girl scout group and and you know it's just it's a fun parade 
to go to. And of course, a bunch of antique cars and automobiles too. And it's just, it, it, um, it's about three and a half, four miles long, um, of the, of the entries that come through there. The parade routes probably, you know, maybe four miles, but I think by the time the beginning of the parade reaches the end, they still haven't gotten entries out of the high school parking lot. So it lasts, you know, a pretty good while. Of course, they, you know, the kids love it because they, they do the can, you know, throwing the candy out of the, out of the, the rigs and off the floats and they have people walking with candy and everything. So they just, they go berserk. Uh, you know, the, the place is lined with kids. They all have, you know, pillowcases or whatever else they're filling them up. And it's just, uh, really fun event, you know, up there in that, uh, what they like to call the tri-county region up there with Junction City, Harrisburg, and Monroe. Uh, you know, I, I get to represent the Junction City side of the river. Harrisburg is actually in Lynn County, uh, but it's uh, the closest 4th of July event to my house, um, and it, it's always just a blast. And of course, it was just a great day to go for a bicycle ride yesterday had a headwind the whole way up into Harrisburg which meant on the way home we had a tailwind the whole way which you can't can't beat that with a stick you know when you get to ride home with a tailwind and always stop and have some unqua ice cream there's one booth there they they set up some food booths uh there in Harrisburg uh near the waterfront and there's always a um, place that sells unqua ice cream and hand scoops it and everything and it's just like you know Get to watch the parade, have a uh, uh, espresso chip uh, ice cream cone, and then jump on the bike and ride home with a tailwind. Uh, it was just just a lot of fun. And I tell you, riding a bike there is easier to get in and out of town than on a car. Particularly, uh, you know, as we come in 99, there's a, about a 10 or 12 foot shoulder where we were actually passing the cars uh, on the coming up the shoulder because they were bumper to bumper trying to get into Harrisburg. So the real fun way to enjoy that parade is ride your bike there. So, you know, and that's kind of what a lot of people think Independence Day is. You know, they all, you know, you ask people what the 4th of July is because, you know, they don't even refer to it as Independence Day. Everybody just calls it the 4th. Um, and everybody thinks about, you know, going to a parade, having a picnic by a river or something like that with, uh, in a little small town and, and fireworks that night. And people rarely think about why they even have that day off and all. And it just, um, it's, it's interesting. And, it, and I've seen actual uh, man on the street interviews with people asking them, you know, you know, what, what, why do you, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? And some people can't even tell you why which is just surprising uh, that they don't realize that is the day that the Congress published the Declaration of Independence um, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's actually written and I think approved on July 2nd, but I think they didn't actually publish it to the people till the 4th. Um, and that's why that's the day, the day it's celebrated. Um, but you know, it's something everybody should read because it, it's it's a great document um, that can, that has things in it that weren't ever really said before. Uh, that, you know, and it brought together ideas um, that had been 
started to be fleshed out from the Magna Carta to to Locke to other philosophers, but it really um, you know jumped into this whole idea of the fact that that all men are created equal and that they have unalienable rights, you know, and, and that those, and in order to secure those rights, we create governments, you know, which was an idea that, you know, really wasn't um, standard in that day and age. You think about most of the countries were monarchies where the monarch ruled by, you know, divine right. He was he was the ruler because his, you know, some ancestor was chosen by God to rule that country, and that that lineage has is the chosen lineage to rule the country supposedly by divine right, and and is not only the head of the country but the head of the, head of whatever the established church is. Um, it, it 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 was, and whatever rights folks enjoyed were granted to them by their government. You know, you were basically um, were told what you were allowed to do versus um, giving the government, you know, creating a government to protect your rights. That whole idea of creating governments secure rights. Um, and a government had to derive their powers from the consent of the governed. Those were pretty radical ideas in 1776. And and it, it really is something I wish folks would remember more is that whole idea that uh, government doesn't give you rights. You're born with those rights. You know, and in fact, you know, you have those rights as an individual and hold them as an individual. And uh, government should be there to protect those rights, not to grant them. So that means, you know, a right has to be something that you're born with and not that you ask somebody else to give you. Government can't give them to you, neither can another person. So and that gets into a whole other discussion about whether health care, housing, and other um, various needs are rights. And it kind of gets to the idea of, you know, if somebody else has to give that to you, is it a right? You know, nobody has to hand me free speech. Nobody gives me free speech. Nobody gives me, um, you know, my determination of how I want to worship. You know, and nobody um, he tells me how I want to defend myself. You know, I don't need that from somebody else. Surely, if you want to be uh, housed, uh, you're going to have to either, you know, unless you construct something out in the wilderness somewhere that that no one's claimed that land and all by your lonesome, you know, you're going to probably purchase that housing from somebody um, in some manner or form. And if you demand it as a right, then you're going to have to take it from somebody, which means you're at, at, you know, how does that, how is that a right? If you're, if you have to take it from somebody and, and if you have the government 
take it from that person to give it to you. That's still not something you were born with. So fascinating, um, you know, piece of writing that the Declaration of Independence was. That's what we celebrate on July 4th. You know, and, and it what's really interesting is the other thing people don't understand about the Declaration of Independence was it was actually a list of grievances against the king. You know, it was it was the justification of why they were going to separate from England, because one of the things they 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 said was, um, it's something that you shouldn't do lightly. You know that that changing governments is not something you do lightly. You know, so they went through this long list of things that they felt the king had done uh, that was basically tyranny and despotism and everything else. And, and it's interesting, you know, everything from uh, obstructing uh, justice by um, basically appointing judges that depended on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their of their salaries. And, and that you know, another interesting concept there is like judges should have some independence from the uh, central authority of, of government that's expressed there and was later on um, and you know indoctrinated into the constitution as being that third branch of government and having some independent um, independence from both the legislative and um, executive branch of government so you know the seed was planted in 1776 but it wasn't really enshrined until the constitution in uh, 1787 so um, pretty interesting little pieces, some of them were kind of strange, you know, uh, for, you know, basically for protecting their own troops from uh, punishment for crimes they committed, uh, you know, against civilians. Um, it just, uh, it's a long list, you know, from everything from uh, basically accusing them of piracy to uh, quartering troops in people's homes without paying them for it. Um, you know, it, you know, inciting um, the, the Native Americans to um, cause destruction against the colonists. Um, you know, it's just, it's a long, 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 long list uh, of, of all these various things that the king had done. So that's why we celebrate the 4th of July is the Declaration of Independence. And, and one, one of the grievances against the king is the lack of representation and how he dissolved you know, representative houses in the colonies and how he would hold meetings uh, at such um, remote locations away from the colonies that there couldn't be possible representation from the colonies. Uh, and goes on and on, basically, and about taxation without representation, as mentioned. And you know, I, you know, reflected upon that a little bit this last weekend in my role as the Lane County Commissioner, and that I am 
a elected representative of the people to local government, which is the government, the most local level closest to the people. And I'm really kind of proud of that and, and pretty uh, humbled by that. So uh, it's really uh, one of those things that you just, it, it kind of struck me this weekend. It was just it struck me almost dumb for a little bit when I got to thinking about that. Here we're coming up on the 4th of July and a country, you know, a set of colonies rebelled against their, their, um, their king and their founding um, country over this representation issue. And here I am now, you know, almost 250 years later, and I'm a representative of the people of that country. And it's just, it was just one of those moments where you go, wow, you know, what a, what an interesting tie to this holiday. So, you know, I, I, I think about why we have the 4th of July a lot and, and that it is Independence Day, not just the 4th. And that it is about representation. And I hope that people remember that and, and keep that in mind every 4th of July a little bit. Maybe go back, you know, somewhere about the 1st or 2nd or 3rd of July. Read the Declaration of Independence before you go and just, you know, see the local parade or watch some fireworks, you know, have a picnic or whatever else. Think about, you know, why we even have that day off in America and what was so unusual about that day that we celebrate it now so many years later. And um, I think it's a, an important um, piece for us all to keep thinking of. So again, this is uh, the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And today is a free-for-all day, and you can get in on the conversation. And in fact, you can control the topic of conversation by calling 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets Robin, uh, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646 721 9887 just press 1 and of course you can get to us in between shows or during the show at talk at krbnradio.net that's our email address talk at krbnradio.net or you can find us on facebook um, you can simply type in my name and my uh, personal and county uh, commissioner facebook pages will come up and of course, KRBN Radio is on Facebook also. And any of those three places, you can message me to get a hold of me. And I do this show so you all have a chance to call in and ask questions about county government or about government in general, because I try and follow up on that stuff. And I'm a little bit of a history wonk. Um, and I read a lot of history about the, you know, from revolutionary times all the way through US history. Uh, so I kind of have a pretty good understanding. I spend a lot of time in Salem, too, uh, and even have spent time in D.C. In fact, I grew up in D.C. and I escaped D.C. to Oregon. So, uh, you know, we can talk about everything from uh, CNN and Donald Trump to and 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 Facebook memes and Twitter and everything else to um, getting down to some local issues here in Lane County like uh, courthouses and 
um, land swaps and whatever else we talked about last week. But I want to talk about what you want to talk about. So again, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one. That lets us know you want to get in on the conversation because some people dial that number to listen to the show um, that, that don't have access to internet because you can just dial that on your phone and, and listen um, to the show live if you wish. Um, so. And uh, so Jay, I got. Sure. You're talking about history and the fourth. Uh, I just out of curiosity, and I'm not a history major by a long shot, but I was just looking up out of curiosity, the Boston Tea Party, which looks like it was uh, done several years before um, the Independence Day, like like it kind of built up to it, if I'm reading it correctly. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, there were several actions that led up to the actual declaration. And what's interesting, um, there was a lot of work to try and resolve the differences between the colonies in England over those years. I mean, the Boston Tea Party, there was, it's kind of funny because there are different factions in the colonies. Um, there are definitely folks that were, quote, Tories and they wanted to stay a part of England and, and were just fine with, with uh, um, having a monarch and, and everything else. Um, and then there were folks that uh, were pretty, you know, basically um, ready to, to to separate now, and were actually doing things that would actually instigate um, some kind of actions uh, by the by uh, England that would incite a rebellion against them. And and those folks were the ones that dressed up as as Native Americans and raided that ship and dumped the tea in Boston Harbor. They were the ones trying to, you know, the Sons of Liberty that basically were trying to provoke rebellion. And then there were folks in between that were trying to do the diplomatic thing and try and find some some kind of uh, redress, you know, from England. And and there were lots. And of course. This is back when it would take months to send an envoy to and from. And of course, half the time they wouldn't sail in the wintertime across the North Atlantic. So it might, you might send an envoy in one, you know, in the fall and not get them back till the following spring, six months later, and hear what, what, you know, official London said of whatever it was you sent to them. <laughs> so it took a long, you know, it took that three years to get to the point and, you know, the, the, breakdown of diplomacy between the the representatives of the colonies and uh, England to uh, to get to the point where they, they wrote the Declaration of Independence. And there were people at the time that, that did, even then criticized um, the, the Congress for coming out with that. Uh, you know, and then there were people that didn't think it was strong enough. <laughs> I don't like uh, part of the, the uh, situation with the Boston Tea Party, and I think that's where uh, the no taxation without representation uh, was developed, is that when you look at present day, we have a lot of taxes that you have to ask, well, what do these taxes represent? I mean, for example, like on the coast, if you own property, you pay an extra tax, as I found out a couple of weeks ago. If your house is facing towards the ocean, you're paying an extra tax for that, for the privilege of seeing the ocean in the morning. And I mean, 
So if, if you look at the Boston Tea Party, the riots and everything that are going on now in the 21st century, up to a couple years to uh, Independence Day, I mean, do you kind of see a pattern developing in a sense? Uh, that you're that we're starting to see now. Well, it seems like uh, they tax everything. Yeah, and, and you know, I see that in some ways. In um, you know, where and that we saw this in the '90s with the property tax revolts, uh, where people, you know, the the property tax was tied to the value of a home. Homes were were you know, and real estate were going at, were getting astronomically increased. So the taxes were going up with it. And at the same time, the, the tax rates could even be raised. So you were getting hit by this double whammy of, of governments raising the, um, the rate of tax on a piece of real estate, as well as the real estate's value gaining. So you were at this double inflationary sort of spiral of property taxes. So you saw Prop 13 in California, Measure 5 in Oregon, and I forget what the initiative number is in, in Washington State, that all limited property taxes because people just got fed up. And in those states that had a way of, of a citizen's initiative, that happened. And we started, you know, we start seeing some other um, rumblings like that uh, as, as, uh, we saw some uh, income tax changes and all that in Oregon here. So what happens is we get an initiative that creates a need for a three-fifths majority for the legislature to pass a new tax. And now they're trying to get around that by, um, you know, basically on some cases where if they just change a, um, a, a deduction or something like that, that it causes a tax increase. They don't call that a new tax. They just call that, you know, getting rid of the deduction. They think they can do that with a simple majority. And we saw that that kind of raised a big uh, stink last week when they took away that small business um, uh, exemption that was uh, in the up in Salem and, and uh, did it on a party line vote, you know, less than three fifths in the House, and I think it died in the Senate. They didn't bring it up in the Senate, but still, it was uh, made made pretty big news around the state, and there was a lot of rumblings about, you know, how can they do this? Um, and it, it was it was an attempt to go around something where the, the people rebelled and were trying to limit government's ability to tax uh, at the local level. Um, definitely. Um, some parallels there, but I don't know if it's quite the same. We still all elect those folks in Salem. We all got the vote for somebody. Um, so the folks up there are our elected representatives. It's not quite like England where we didn't have anyone we were locally electing and sending to parliament in London that was then setting the tax rates on the colonies. They were just imposing them, you know, and, and at the same time, they were also imposing tariffs on imports from the colonies into England, which was restricting their ability to earn enough money to pay the taxes. Isn't there a time in U.S. history where the tax rate was like 90 percent? 
I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that, Rob. Wasn't there a time in the U.S. history where the tax rate was around 90%? Yeah, um, that was, you know, somewhere um, in the, in the early, um, you know, early last century. Not too long after the income tax came into place, it got increased almost all the time. And I think by the um, late teens, early twenties, it was up in the ninety percent range, maybe even into the thirties. Um, so it, it's been. Yeah, it's it's gotten pretty high for high income earners. At one point, the income tax got outrageous. Um, and in fact, you know, one of the first big tax cutters was uh, JFK and uh, President Kennedy, who uh, made a major cut in tax rates um, that turned out to be a huge stimulus to the uh, economy at the time. And I think at the time he made those cuts, the top rate was close to 90%. Well, speaking of cuts and going against the grain, I understand there's a county in, in Oregon that kind of reduced taxes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, that was, uh, I had a telephone town hall last week and I got to, to crow a little bit about our budget this year where we actually um, balanced our budget by controlling our internal costs and did so well enough that we were able to have our property tax rate, which is the you know the the rate per thousand of assessed value. Um, we set that rate for the the public safety levy instead of at the maximum 55 cents per thousand that we were allowed. We set it at 38 cents per thousand, which is about a 30 percent decrease um, in the allowable rate of taxation. So. Yeah, we're we're pretty happy about being able to do that, and to you know just to show the fiscal um, restraint and responsibility to levy a tax rate at lower than the maximum amount. Not uh, many other jurisdictions in Oregon can say that. So, pretty proud of that fact. Speaking of telephone town halls, I want to mention that next week I am going to be in Portland. Oregon for a meeting with the Oregon Health Authority on the public health modernization efforts they're doing. I've been uh, appointed to a work group that's working on some new um, uh, rules and, and um, new reorganization of how public health is is done in this state. Um, and uh, kind of honored that they they sought me out and asked me to be on that on that work group, but unfortunately, it, it the meeting is supposed to end at three in Portland, and I'll be dumped out into Portland rush hour traffic about that time, which is always a lot of fun. Which means I'll probably be sitting somewhere on the Terwilliger curves just about showtime, <laughs> in bumper to bumper traffic, and it's not always the best way to do a show from from uh, my my car. Uh, through my cell phone. So what I'm going to do next week is we're going to replay my telephone town hall I did last week, which was another way I like to try and reach out to voters. And that's going to be the Bo's Nose Show next week is going to be a replay of my telephone town hall um, from the week right before that. And uh, you'll get to hear a little bit about um, 
our budget and uh, probably a little bit about our stepping up initiative to keep folks with mental illness out of our jail. And then also, um, I, I did a couple poll questions because what's pretty interesting is this technology that you can do a telephone town hall uh, that we have nowadays where I actually dialed out to about 10,000 different numbers in the West Lane County District and actually connected um, with about 7,000 of those and left messages on a majority of those answering machines that I got but actually had live pickups on about 3,000. And at any one time during the call, I had about 1,000 people on the line for a while. And one of the things I'm able to do with that technology is ask a poll question and folks can use their keypad to answer the question and come up with some percentages. And I had a couple questions set up. And uh, if you listen next week to that telephone town hall, you'll get to hear how, how people answered some of those questions that I asked uh, folks in, in in the moment at that time on the telephone town hall. So it, it, it'll it be educational for you to, to hear some of what was going on at the county. I also answered some questions live from folks because um, it's kind of like this show. You can dial in, um, it, you know, once you're connected to a telephone town hall, you just um, press the zero key and that kind of lets folks know you have a question and we get you queued up. And I was able to answer about four or five different um, callers questions during the town hall. Here you can actually dial in directly at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And press one, and that lets us know you want to get in on the show. And we don't have anyone holding right now. So if you call in right now, you'll control the conversation. So um, we're speaking a little bit about Salem and all that, Robin. And one of the things I wanted to get to, and it sounds like I just saw um, a little Twitter and some some notes out from some folks that uh, thoughts that maybe the transportation package would hit a little bit of a rocky patch over the weekend in Salem. Last week we thought we had it done and they were going to be moving ahead with it. And uh, this week, uh, over the weekend, um, a bunch of House members kind of made a veiled threat that they weren't going to vote for the transportation package unless they got um, some other um, taxes from corporations through to get more revenue for um, running the, the state government, even though they have record amounts of revenue to work with right now. And they were able to give schools like an 11% increase in their budget. Um, they want more. And uh, there were 16 Democrats that signed a letter to the House Speaker threat, kind of threatening the transportation bill if they didn't go back and relook at, rev, at corporate uh, tax revenues and trying to get some kind of, um, you know, corporate tax, uh, gross receipts tax in. But it sounds like cooler heads must have prevailed because sometime over between Saturday and today, they must have worked the deal out or quieted those folks down and the House passed the transportation bill and is moving to the Senate, and it passed by a pretty comfortable margin, 39 to 20, with uh, 28 Democrats and 11 Republicans voting in favor of the measure. Um, and it you know, only needed, you know, because it raises taxes, it has to have that three-fifths majority, which out of, out of um, 60 
House members, House representatives, state House representatives, uh, you need 36 votes and they add 39. So that's a pretty comfortable margin there. But uh, that's uh, it's good to see that package move forward because um, this weekend there was a article in the Register Guard that Lane County has earned the distinction of being um, the county with the highest fatalities in the state on our roads. And one of the things um, that can be a cause of that is, is how well we maintain our roads and our ability to do safety improvements. And currently right now um, with how at least county um, road funding is going, we weren't, we're not getting enough money into our road fund to pay for new projects really. We're barely doing enough maintenance even to keep our roads up. In fact, we're not doing enough. Our roads are in good condition now because of the monies we used to get from federal timber harvest um, that we're finally no longer getting. Um, so we're down to just state uh, gas tax monies that are going into our road fund and vehicle registration fees and other um, state fees. We used to get, it used to be about half state funding like that and half federal funding. In fact, it used to be about two thirds federal money from the forest and about a third state funding. And now we're 100% on the state uh, revenues for our county road fund. And uh, we just got an internal audit um, done on our road, road system and our road fund. And it showed our roads are in, and bridges are in good condition, but it indicated that they're at risk of going into bad condition unless we found a some additional revenues to to maintenance with because we're only doing about three million dollars worth of capital work on our roads and there's a, it's a six billion dollar system uh, so three million a year just doesn't keep a six billion dollar asset um, in good good condition so uh, although the transportation package wasn't as big as it was originally proposed um, it still does a lot to help Lane County ha have the funding to maintain our roads in good condition, which is a safety issue. At the same time, it may give us a little bit more money to where we can actually do some, some actual safety improvement projects, new, new construction to improve safety, like putting in a guardrail around a dangerous curve or straightening out a dangerous curve or uh, realigning an intersection so it's not a blind intersection. Uh, those all cost money. Um, and as we do that kind of work, uh, you know, not having the revenues to do it was somewhat driving uh, the high fatalities in Lane County. The other thing driving high fatalities in Lane County though is something this bill won't correct. And that's the lack of our ability to enforce traffic laws in this state. Uh, really, when you get right down to it, a lot of the, the deaths and uh, severe injury crashes that happen in Lane County and across Oregon are from driver behaviors, either drivers that are driving uh, too fast for the conditions, drivers that aren't paying attention, or drivers that are driving impaired. All three of those things can be adjusted by having enough enforcement capabilities out there to make it not worth people doing that. 
But right now, if you go outside of a city limit where they have a city police force in Lane County, it will it is a rare thing to get a traffic ticket in, in the rural areas of Lane County. We don't have the sheriff's patrol capacity to issue traffic tickets. Uh, we're we're basically have so few patrol officers out there that they're going from serious crime to serious crime incident to serious crime incident, or getting to fatal accidents after the fact. Most of the tickets we write now are are post accident citations, not pre-accident citations that might actually be preventative um, in nature. And part of the reason that that is is um, you know, over the years, there's been a huge disinvestment by the state legislature in the Oregon State Police Department. Um, OSP used to have 600 patrol officers across the state. Today, it's 300. So in the last 20 years, they've halved the patrol capacity of the Oregon State Police. And at the same time, here in Lane County, we've gone from where we used to have 99 deputies in our police services division to 24. You know, so, you know, basically one, one quarter of our capacity. So those two things in combination, that's your rural traffic patrol and safety enforcement is those two entities is, is rural sheriff's patrols and OSP. And we're not the only county suffering this. Every uh, timber-dependent county in southwestern Oregon, the ones that you know get referred to as the ONC counties, which is the Oregon and California Railroad Lands counties, um, Josephine County has almost no rural patrol. Curry County, almost no rural patrol. Coos County, very little. Douglas County, very little. Jackson counties had to reduce their, their rural patrols. Uh, Klamath counties had to reduce rural patrols. Because of that, people get used to being able to drive 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, knowing they're not going to get a ticket. And then they start getting used to using their handheld cell phones because no one's going to write them a ticket for it. They get used to taking a little bit of a chance, you know, oh, it's all right, I had a couple of drinks because I never see a cop on the way home anyhow, you know, that sort of thing. That getting used to being able to consistently break the law, which is getting used to being able to consistently do things that are unsafe because those laws are there about safety. And, and it's really about being a safe driver you get in the habit of doing that. You know, it, you know, everyone talks about how you make a habit. You do do something a thousand times and it becomes a habit. So how many times have you gone and driven over the speed limit? I got, it, I got a question for you, Jim. Sure. Uh, going back to the transportation bill, I, I'm looking at the bill right now. Yeah. And uh, as you're talking about monies and stuff, Section 120 uh, talks about not only adding um, – but also adding what they call time of day congestion pricing to those tolls, just like that uh, per mile thing, uh, mm -hmm. which I don't see here, but I, it's a pretty long article. But I wanted to get your your thoughts on uh, on toll roads. Um, you know, I'm from the East Coast, 
and I grew up with toll roads. But of course, a lot of times the toll roads only had the tolls on long enough to pay the bonds off on constructing them. And then the toll booths got pulled out of the roadways and they were just a regular road. Um, but I remember driving on what they called the Richmond Petersburg Turnpike on the way to the beach, um, uh, the, the New Jersey Turnpike, uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you know, they were all tolled. Um, and, you know, a lot of the bridges, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, they were all tolled. And now it's actually gotten on the East Coast to where they um, reinstated tolls on some roads and, and went beyond paying off bonds to pay for that maintenance cost. Because I think one of the things they didn't recognize sometimes with these, these turnpikes is, yeah, you can pay off the original construction, but that's not the end of the cost. Um, and they've gone to these systems they call fast pass. And you get a little sensor you put in your car. It's connected to your credit card account or whatever. And you don't even have to stop. I mean, you don't even have to slow down. <laughs> you just drive through the fast pass lanes and uh, you get told. And, and they've actually in California gone to doing something similar for um, HOV lanes and all that, where you can actually pay um, you know, a premium to be able to drive in some of these HOV lanes as a single car if you have one of these fast passes in your car. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a direct user fee. So everything about roads, you know, as long as they're being reinvested directly into roads, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, but what about it's one thing that if, if it goes like you say to pay for the road, but like the title of this section here is the traffic congestion relief program. Or they're just doing it to kind of you know trying to get everybody out of their cars. Yeah, and that you know that's some issue, but you know congestion pricing, um, you know, is something that capitalism uses all the time. Um, if you know if you remember. Back in the in, and you and I are old enough to remember things like long distance charges. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was cheaper to make a call at night, wasn't it? It was. Or, or on a weekend, it cost you more during business hours, because it tied up their capacity in that in that long distance system, and the idea was to get people to move to the off peak hours by enticing them with discounts. Congestion pricing and tolling is the same thing. You know, it, it, it's intended to try and entice people to use the roadways when they're not busy um, and change their, their, you know, their patterns. Um, some people may not be able to change their patterns because they, they can't flex their work schedule at all, but there are other people that can. And the idea is to try and give enough of an incentive to have people want to try and change their schedules. Um, there's a little bit of incentive anyway, and just not having to drive in such heavy traffic, but um, congestion pricing is part of that. You see it in everything from uh, the blue plate specials at, at restaurants that, that um, you know, if you come in at four when they're not busy, you can get dinner at half, you know, buy one, get one half price or whatever, you know, <laughs> to, uh, uh, you know, you see the uh, matinee pricing at, movie theaters is cheaper when they're instead of the evening um, prime time. So 
you see congest you see time of day pricing and, and basically um, what similar to congestion uh, management with tolling um, in all sorts of different systems and the free market does it almost naturally because you're trying to make the best use of, of your your you're trying to you want to serve your customers in some ways so you try and move people to non-busy times when you can serve them best and it also allows you to serve them during the busy times better well i guess what worries me is that you know as a person that doesn't make very much per hour and then if you talk about does it cost you two fifty or five dollars each time you go across the bridge or the toll times twice or if you have to go multiple times it seem like you can run into the hundreds of dollars very easily and you may not have any alternative but to, to pay it because of your job or for whatever reason yeah yeah and that's you know <clears throat> it's an understandable issue and it's one of those things where it's either you you get into tolling those roads that are the busiest and need need the improvements and and need the congestion management or you go to uh, an overall gas tax increase that's statewide um, and doesn't go after the people that use those roads that are actually the issues so it's a little bit of um, if you weren't paying those tolls you'd be paying higher gas taxes and there'd be probably people paying those higher gas taxes that live in areas that don't have congestion that would be subsidizing those folks that live in the areas that do have the congestion. So, so it's kind of a, yeah, yeah, yes, it may be more expensive for somebody living in an area that's on a fixed or, or low income, but the balance to that is somehow or another, we have to keep our infrastructure sound and operating. And, and your, your ability to work and your ability for companies to work um, is really highly dependent on our transportation infrastructure. Uh, just an example is there have been companies that have looked at the city of Benita to locate, but they have difficulty um, with the not so much the congestion on on 126 and Beltline getting to I-5, but the unpredictability of being able to schedule deliveries and, and shipments. Because at any time, if there is any sort of problem on, on that stretch of 126 that's two lanes across Fern Ridge Reservoir and you can't get around it, or Beltline Road where it crosses the Willamette River, you know, you can go from where Getting to I-5 from Veneta used to, was was somewhere around 20 to, to 25 minutes to it's now three hours and, and with no warning and that that uncertainty has actually caused folks that were looking at a manufacturing facility out in the Veneta area to not go in that location because of that uncertainty of the transportation system. So when you start talking about, yeah, you might be having to pay some, some tolls or some ex extra gas taxes, your employment may be dependent on the roads that those gas taxes pay for <laughs> in, in the long run. So it's kind of a, kind of a tough thing um, to look at, but it is, it is um, transportation infrastructure is one of those things that government does that 
makes um, our economy work. It makes us not quite, you know, the purely capitalistic system that some people think we are at times. Um, it is one of the things that, that we've chosen as a country to have government provide. You know, once upon a time, almost all roads were private and they were all told. Uh, and that 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 was the system of transportation. But we kind of solve it for um, you know better economies and for uh, better freedom of movement. Um, having government invest in transportation infrastructure was kind of a good thing. So yeah, I don't I don't have a good answer for you know those things where where you might be that person that lives on one side of a bridge that gets told and works on another. Um, they do have monthly discount pricing and all that back east. Some of those fast pass systems, you can actually, um, if you are, if you are crossing for employment, they have ways of buying discount um, bundles of, of trips um, for frequent travelers, so to speak. So I, I, some of that's been worked into the system, but. Um, we do need to fund that our our transportation infrastructure in the state, and it's it we've gotten behind. And we used to have the luxury of federal timber dollars funding most of it, and um, you know, and we've gotten distracted by some fancy choo-choo trains and um, long buses that have taken money away from funding what really needs to be uh, funded. So. Uh, that's really uh, we're we're playing catch up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, uh, this is a free for all day here on the Bose Nose Show, and uh, got a few minutes left here in the program. I can get a caller in if you want to get in. It's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, we'll get you in and uh, get right to your question or comment. So got about five minutes left. We've covered everything from transportation to Independence Day to uh, a little bit about taxation without representation and, and high taxes and stuff. Uh, kind of interesting. Um, at least this transportation package is going the correct route where it's having to get the three-fifths majority of our representatives that we voted to put in Salem uh, to raise our, our gas taxes and other taxes, um, which is the way it should be. And hopefully they'll be able to get the three-fifths in the Senate and then get the governor to sign it. And there's still the, the ability of the people of Oregon to um, refer it to the ballot. I don't see an emergency clause on that bill. So. Um, Can you summarize the emergency clause real quick for people that don't know? Yeah, so one of the things our state legislature here in Oregon can do is add what they call an emergency clause to a bill, which was intended to make a bill ha come into effect immediately upon passage because there was some you know, necessary thing that had to be fixed immediately by legislation or you were reacting to an emergency. Well, 
fortunately, that's been used by our legislature to prevent citizens from referring things to the ballot. Because one of the things that happens is most legislation doesn't take effect until a certain number of days after adjournment of the, the legislative session. And that gives time for people to go collect signatures and refer. We have the, the, the power of people, the people of Oregon have the power of referral in this state where we can take anything the um, legislature passes and refer it to the voters for a statewide vote up or down. And um, what happens when there's an emergency clause on something, it eliminates the ability for folks to refer something. So a lot of times the legislature adds emergency clauses on bills that aren't emergencies just because they don't want a bill to get referred because they know the people really don't want it. They've done it with other bills. This bill though on transportation does not have an emergency clause on it doesn't take effect till the 91st day following adjournment, signing die of the um, this session of the legislation. So if folks don't like it, they can go out and collect signatures and get it put on the ballot and there'll be an up or down vote on House Bill 2017. Unlike Senate Bill 941 in 2015 that required additional background checks on, on gun transfers, including ones between friends that aren't related um, just to hold a gun in their safe while they go on vacation, uh, which would cost you somewhere between 20 to 60 bucks because you have to do it in both directions. Um, it, you know, that had an emergency clause on it because for some reason it was an emergency to have that. You couldn't wait 91 days to have that bill go into effect. And uh, I, I still don't think there was good justification. They just knew that it was unpopular. They passed it on a party line vote and it would have been referred. And there's enough Democrats that agree with that, that it probably would have gone down. So um, just uh, goes to show you that, you know, Sometimes government does things that are, that are meant to thwart the will of the people. Getting back to Independence Day and the Declaration of Independence, that would be on my list of grievances. If I was to write a modern-day Declaration of Independence, the abuse of the emergency clause by the Oregon legislature would be one of the things I would list right up near the top. You know that that is that is intended for the sole purpose of preventing the right of referral of the people of Oregon, which is an important right that we have and that one that I truly support and uh, hope that you support and remember the real reason why uh, we celebrate the 4th of July. It's about our independence and representation and government not trampling on the rights of the people because the rights the people have, they were born with, they're unalienable, and a government shouldn't be able to take them away. So this has been the Bose Nose Show, and I want to thank you for listening today. And next week is going to be a rebroadcast of my telephone town hall. So I'll see you in a couple weeks here on the Bose Nose Show. Hope you have a great evening and a great day. Thank you for listening. Good night. Mm -hmm.